Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the South Plains Financial Inc. fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings conference call. During today's presentation, all parties will be in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, the conference will be open for questions with instructions to follow at that time. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. Steve Crockett, Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer of South Plains Financial. Mr. Crockett, please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. We appreciate your participation in our earnings conference call. With me here today are Curtis Griffith, our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Corey Newsom, our President, and Brent Bates, our Chief Credit Officer. The related earnings press release and earnings presentation are available on the News and Events section of our website, spfi.bank. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that this call may contain forward-looking statements that are subject to a variety of risk, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from those anticipated future results. Please see our Safe Harbor statement in our earnings press release or on slide two of the earnings presentation. All comments made during today's call are subject to those safe harbor statements. Any forward-looking statements presented herein are made only as of today's date, and we do not undertake any duty to update such forward-looking statements, except as required by law. Additionally, during today's call, we may discuss certain non-GAAP measures, which we believe are useful in evaluating our performance. A reconciliation of these non-GAAP measures to the most comparable GAAP measures can also be found in our earnings release and in the earnings presentation. Curtis, let me hand it over to you. Thank you, Steve, and good morning. On today's call, I will briefly review the highlights of our full year 2023 results, as well as provide an update on our capital allocation priorities. Corey will discuss our loan portfolio, as well as our initiatives to drive deposit and fee income growth in the year ahead. Steve will then conclude with a more detailed review of our fourth quarter financial results. I would like to start by thanking our employees for their efforts and commitment to both the bank and our customers during an extremely challenging year for our industry. Our success would not be possible without their dedication and hard work. As shown on slide four of our earnings presentation, we delivered 9.7% loan growth for the full year driven by the expansion of our lending platform, combined with a resilient economy as Texas continues to benefit from in-migration and a favorable business climate. If inflation continues to moderate and the Federal Reserve begins to reduce their benchmark interest rate, we expect economic growth to accelerate as we look to the second half of 2024. Looking back at the past year, our community-based deposit franchise grew modestly, which is impressive given the significant dislocation that occurred following the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the first quarter. For the full year, our core deposits grew 1%, excluding brokered deposits, to $3.26 billion, which demonstrates the resilience of our franchise combined with our strong customer relationships. At quarter end, 81% of our deposits were in our rural markets, with 19% in our major metropolitan markets of Dallas, Houston, and El Paso. Additionally, our average deposit account balance is approximately $36,000, with only an estimated 16% of our total deposits being uninsured or uncollateralized. 
The credit quality of our loan portfolio also remained strong through the fourth quarter as our classified loans have remained at the lowest level since the start of the pandemic as we ended the year. Lastly, we increased our return on average assets to 1.54% for the full year 2023 as compared with 1.47% for the full year 2022. We also completed the sale of our Windmark Crop Insurance subsidiary in April for a pre-tax gain of $33.8 million. The gain that we recorded positioned us to strategically sell $56 million of investment securities at a loss in a tax-efficient manner and reinvest those proceeds into higher-yielding loans. Given our strong capital and liquidity position, our Board of Directors authorized a $15 million stock repurchase program in May, which has been exhausted. We repurchased 218,000 shares in the fourth quarter and a total of 686,000 shares during 2023. Through the year, our Board has believed that our shares have traded below intrinsic value, and we have been aggressive buying our stock in the open market. Looking to the year ahead, we will maintain our liquidity and continue to watch for opportunities to expand the bank and our earnings power. M&A is an area of interest, and we believe you will see transactions take place in the market as sellers' expectations are becoming more realistic. The decline in interest rates at the end of the year also led to a recovery in bank securities portfolios, which will increase the probability that we will see deal volumes pick up. However, we will only be interested in acquiring a bank with the right culture, excess liquidity, a stable deposit base, and at a valuation that makes sense for us and our shareholders. In the meantime, we remain focused on organic growth while returning a steady stream of income to our shareholders through our quarterly dividend. Our board of directors again authorized a 13 cents per share quarterly dividend as announced last week. This will be our 19th consecutive quarterly dividend to be paid on February 12, 2024 for shareholders of record on January 29, 2024. Now I'll turn the call over to Corey. Thank you, Curtis, and hello, everyone. Starting on slide six, loans held for investment increased $20.6 million, or 2.8% annualized, as compared to the linked quarter. Loan demand was primarily in commercial real estate during the quarter and was partially offset by an approximate $10 million decline in our indirect auto portfolio. And we've said on previous calls, we're carefully managing our indirect auto, auto portfolio with a focus on maintaining the portfolio's credit quality while reinvesting a portion of the monthly principal amortization into higher yielding loans. The yield on our loan portfolio was 6.29% in the fourth quarter as compared to 6.1% in the linked quarter. We continue to price new loans to account for the higher interest rate environment that we are operating in, combined with the upper pressure on our deposit cost. Skipping to slide eight, we grew loans by $44 million, or 17.8% annualized, to $1.04 billion in our major metropolitan markets of Dallas, Houston, and El Paso, as compared to the linked quarter. Our metro markets continue to be an important source of loan growth and more than offset the paydowns that we experienced in our community markets, as well as the expected decline in our indirect auto portfolio. We remain in a hiring mode as we look for good lenders who fit our culture and can bring new business to the bank, 
though will remain extremely selective. Turning to slide nine, demand across our markets remains healthy as we continue to experience solid economic growth, though we continue to be selective in who we do business with and what loans we underwrite. As a result, we expect low single-digit loan growth for 2024, though we expect to continue to deliver interest income growth as many lower-rate loans continue to experience principal repayments and or rate resets. While we expect a majority of this repricing to begin accelerating in the second half of 2024, we believe loan yields will remain elevated even if the Fed begins to cut interest rates given lower liquidity in the market, which will benefit our net interest income and them in the third and fourth quarters. In conjunction with our effort to drive loan growth, we also need to deliver deposit growth while stabilizing our non-interest-bearing deposit balances. Though our lenders have always had an emphasis on deposits as part of their incentive comp plan, we have brought a renewed focus on the type and value of these deposits. More specifically, true core deposits and non-interest-bearing balances now carry more weight in these plans. Better said, we are focused on the profitability of the whole relationship. We're also getting much better at putting in loan covenants to new loan originations centered on deposit requirements and liquidity maintenance agreements. While we've always targeted this, we're getting much better at negotiating these covenants. Treasury management is another area where we have made real progress as we've improved our team, our product, and our capabilities over the last year. During the fourth quarter, we recruited a senior Treasury management executive from a top seven U.S. bank to head this business, which follows several additions to our team as we improve the talent of this group. I'm so excited with the level of people and product that we have today, which is unmatched in our history. We're also doing a better job than we ever have in making sure we align the right treasury products with the customer's financial needs, thus allowing us to continue to drive both deposit growth and fee income. Turning to slide 11, we generated $9.1 million of non-interest income in the fourth quarter as compared to $12.3 million in the third quarter. This decline was largely due to a $2.9 million decline in mortgage banking revenues, which includes a $2.2 million decline in the fair market value adjustment to our mortgage servicing rights portfolio. Importantly, we've aggressively managed our mortgage banking expense base as volumes have decreased over the last 18 months with a focus on maintaining profitability. While this downturn in mortgage originations has been the most severe in more than three decades, we've experienced negligible losses while maintaining our mortgage capabilities for the eventual turn in volumes as mortgage rates continue to decline. And, as I mentioned, we expect our initiatives and treasury management to begin to impact fee income beginning in the second quarter. For the fourth quarter, non-interest income was 21% of bank revenues as compared to 26% in the third quarter of 2023. To conclude, we delivered strong results through the fourth quarter and believe we will remain well-positioned. That said, we're not standing still and are, and are aggressively addressing the current environment to manage deposit cost pressures while accelerating fee income growth. We need to stabilize our non-interest-bearing deposits and grow our deposit franchise in order to position us to take advantage of improving loan demand as we move through 2024. I'm confident that we have the right people and plan, and I'm excited about the opportunities ahead. I will now turn the call over to Steve. Thanks, Corey. For the fourth quarter, Diluted earnings per share was 61 cents, which compares to 78 cents per share in the linked quarter. We, we recorded a $1.5 million write-down of the fair value of our mortgage servicing rights asset during the quarter as compared to a $700,000 write-up in the linked quarter. The current quarter impact on our earnings per share was 7 cents after tax. Turning to slide 13, 
Net interest income was $35.2 million for the fourth quarter, as compared to $35.7 million for the linked quarter. Our loan production in the third quarter, combined with the rise in new loan rates, lifted the yield on our loan portfolio by 19 basis points in the fourth quarter, resulting in a $1.7 million increase in loan interest income. The rise in loan interest income was offset by the $1.3 by $1 million increase in interest expense due to the rise in short-term interest rates on interest-bearing liabilities and a decrease of $900,000 in income on other interest-earning assets as average investable liquidity declined in the fourth quarter. Our net interest margin, calculated on a tax-equivalent basis, held steady at 3.52% in the fourth quarter as compared to the linked quarter. Higher loan balances and loan yields offset the rise in our cost of deposits and the decline in non-interest-bearing deposits. As outlined on slide 14, our average cost of deposits was 224 basis points in the fourth quarter, an increase of 17 basis points from the linked quarter. Given the rising interest rate environment through the year, we've had to be proactive in maintaining deposit relationships, which has led to the rise in our funding costs. Overall, our core deposit franchise continues to remain steady with only a slight decrease in the fourth quarter. As Corey touched on, we've put initiatives in place designed to stabilize our non-interest-bearing deposit balances while also driving core deposit growth. We expect these initiatives to begin to have an impact as we move through 2024. In the meantime, we expect continued upward pressure on deposit costs, which will modestly pressure our NIM. That said, we expect our NIM to trough through the first half of 2024. Turning to slide 15, our ratio of allowance for credit losses to total loans held for investment was 1.41% at December 31st, 2023, which is unchanged from the end of the prior quarter. We recorded a $600,000 provision for credit losses in the fourth quarter, which was largely attributable to our organic loan growth as well as net charge-off activity in the quarter. Skipping ahead to slide 19, our non-interest expense was $30.6 million in the fourth quarter as compared to $31.5 million in the linked quarter. The $900,000 decrease was largely due to lower mortgage costs as we continue to manage through the, the decline in mortgage volumes. That said, we would expect non-interest expense to modestly rise through the first half of 2024 as mortgage volume increased through the spring selling season. Moving ahead to slide 21, we remain well capitalized with tangible common equity to tangible assets of 9.21% at the end of the fourth quarter, an increase from 8.4% at the end of the third quarter of 2023. The increase was largely driven by a $32.9 million increase in accumulated other comprehensive income, or AOCI, and $8.2 million of net income after dividends paid. AOCI was positively impacted by decreases in long-term market interest rates during the fourth quarter. Tangible book value per share increased to $23.47 as of December 31st, compared to $21.07 as of September 30th, 2023, largely due to the impact of AOCI and our net earnings in the fourth quarter. I'll turn the call back to Curtis for concluding remarks. Thank you, Steve. To conclude, I'm very proud of our performance over the past year. Our community-based deposit franchise remained resilient 
foreign lenders continued to drive high-quality loan growth that contributed to our strong earnings growth in 2023. We also sold Winmark, which provided capital for share repurchases, as well as a strategic reposition of a portion of our securities portfolio. The bank is operating very well as we enter 2024, but we know we have much more to do. As Corey outlined, we have initiatives in place that we believe will stabilize our non-interest-bearing deposit balances, grow core deposits, and drive fee income growth. This will provide improved liquidity for loan growth looking to the second half of 2024 when we expect to see a meaningful portion of our loan portfolio reprice and an acceleration in the Texas economy from already healthy levels. We expect competitor liquidity to fund new loans in our markets to be limited and believe we will be well positioned to add high-quality customers and attractive loans to our portfolio. We also expect our fee income to improve starting in the second quarter. We remain optimistic on the year ahead as we focus on delivering value to our shareholders. Thank you again for your time today. Operator, please open the line for any questions. Thank you. We'll now be conducting a question and answer session. If you'd like to be placed in the question queue, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you'd like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing star 1. One moment, please, while we pull for questions. Our first question today is coming from Graham Dick from Piper Sandler. Your line is now live. Hey, good morning, guys. Morning, Graham. I uh, just wanted to to start on loan growth. I heard your guidance there for for low single digit growth, which um, I, I guess aligns with the last two quarters pretty well. But you know, for the full year 2023, at 10%, it's definitely definitely slower. Um, and then also for you to sort of frame that up with, I guess, what you see between your community markets and then the metro markets, because it sounds like the growth in the metro markets has been pretty strong. Uh, which is a little different than some of the the metro-focused or or headquartered banks in Texas. So I'd just like to hear maybe what you are doing differently to to grow loans faster there, Um, and then also how, you know, the community banking payoffs might play into that low single-digit growth. Uh, Graham, Ms. Curtis, uh, yeah, I think a lot of our growth, it's it's a result of making some great hires that we've done uh, in some of those markets in the last uh, couple of years. And all that's kind of coming to fruition. Uh, it is, uh, you know, still a little more challenging to get the growth out here in some of the more rural markets, but we're seeing good activity too. I'm going to let uh, Brent Bates uh, kind of elaborate on that and what he kind of sees uh, going forward a little here in 24. Yeah, you know, this is this is Brent. Uh, last year in 23, we we saw real uh, strong growth in the first half, and and uh, you know, closer to that three percent second half of the year. And you know, I think what we're what we're expecting this year is still to see some some tailwinds from our construction portfolio advances in the first half of the year on that construction portfolio, which is uh, predominantly multifamily and industrial projects in, in our metro markets, and uh, still see some pullback in residential construction. Uh, and then we're, you know, we're still seeing good activity from our existing clients, even out in our uh, rural market. So um, I think the the low single digit growth for uh, 24 is realistic. It's attainable, 
and uh, and definitely 24. Uh, I'd, I would expect to be much more of a smooth growth period than than 2023 was. Graham, this is Corey. I think the other thing we've got to keep keep in mind is we're being much more selective about what we're wanting to fund. So we've we've had opportunities to look at a, a number of transactions that we just we just passed on. We don't we don't think it's the right time on some of those for us right now or for, for some of the clients. So we've just we have selectively pulled back a little bit and we're okay with that. Yeah, definitely makes sense, and that's helpful, Brent. Uh, thanks for that. I, I guess just just moving to the the margin a little bit. It was flat quarter over quarter. Uh, I know you guys said that you're calling for a trough maybe in the first half of the year. Um, I was wondering if you if you'd be willing to maybe give an idea of of where you see that trough. I mean, is that low 340s or is it just slightly below this level? Just trying to get an idea for the trends going forward, given we saw you know flat margin quarter over quarter, and it seems like. The rate environment should get a little bit better to start the year, but obviously still uh, very competitive out there. Yeah, I'll uh, Graham to Steve. I'll start, and then I'll let uh, I'll let Corey or Curtis uh, jump in as well. Uh, I mean, we were we were uh, fortunate that that we were able to keep keep it flat uh, during the fourth quarter. Um, we we do continue to see uh, pricing pressure, particularly on the deposit side. Um, we we did uh, while we did increase uh, the, the the cost of cost of deposits uh, during the quarter that that rate of growth did did slow down and we're uh, we are we are prepared for that to to still increase but that overall uh, growth has continued to slow down. Um, yes, we hope there will be um, some some relief in sight uh, with depending on what they do with rates. Uh, been a little bit of mix, mixed messages in the first three three weeks of the year so far. It seems like of, of looking like they're headed down and then kind of cu- pulling back up a little bit. Not not on our specifically, but just when you look at the uh, when you look at the treasury market and, and, and some other, other other rates. So uh, we we are hopeful that that we can we can keep uh, NIM close to where it is. Uh, a little bit of a drop, you know. I hate to put any specific number out there, but I mean, five basis point drop, uh, three to five, three to three to seven or so, so something like that would uh, not be unrealistic. But we're going to do everything we can to try to keep it close to where it is today. So, Graham, I think one thing though that this is the first quarter that we felt comfortable to start making minor changes in less sensitive less rate sensitive deposits throughout the company and so i think that i think that's really says a lot when you start looking at the fact that we finally feel comfortable to start making some minor rate reductions uh, across the board now those are going to be small and incremental and it's going to take a while for the for it to start really showing but i think that's i think that says a lot if you kind of think about the fact that we're finally willing just to start doing that no, absolutely. Definitely does. Um, and I guess just staying here with the NIM, so I get, is some of the trough that's going to happen, or I guess the pressure in one half, is that because the fixed rate repricing is weighted towards the back half of the year? Curtis, did I hear that correctly? Uh, we definitely have, have more more of that repricing that, that will occur as we get to, to the second half of, of 24. Uh, we have some going along, but 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 it it, it accelerates a lot more as we get to the sec- second half. Uh, one other point, 
this is the time of year that our ag loans do pay down. And while in the big scheme of things, it's not a you know significant number, but it does move things a penny or two here and there because most of those operating lines were priced up at current rates for as we went through 2023. And they'll be priced at current rates when they renew and they start drawing up again in 24. But there is a little drop there, and it will be in some of our higher yielding uh, notes that are out there right now. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. And then the last one is just more housekeeping. Uh, I just want to make sure I got the, the mortgage servicing right uh, adjustments correctly. So you, you said that there was a $1.5 million mark this quarter, uh, negative mark compared to last quarter, where it was a $700,000 write-up, which is the, that's the 2.2 number is really the delta between the two quarters, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure I understood that correctly. All right. That's all from you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Graham. Thanks. Thank you. Next question today is coming from Brett Rabbiton from Hovde Group. Your line is now live. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wanted to um, first uh, just talk about the deposit initiatives, and you, you talk quite a bit about stabilizing DDA, and I, I know you're hopeful for Treasury management to, to possibly be a part of that. Can you guys maybe go through a little bit on the stabilization of DDA, what, what that entails in terms of product or, or um, strategy, you know, how you're going to achieve that, and then just maybe talk a little bit about the growth of deposits and where you expect that to come from? Yeah, so, Greg, good morning. This is Corey. So, you know, we've, we've had this conversation. We, were, we, we talk amongst ourselves quite a bit. I mean, We'd like to sit here and tell you that, I mean, Treasury's got a, a, a quarter over quarter just immediate change. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Our, what we're trying to do is an overall initiative that, that chases the trend long term and the way that we chase relationships. You know, a lot of it's going to come back specifically around the lending relationships and making sure that we require much more uh, emphasis on the deposit gathering. So historically in the past, our, our lenders have always, we've always had deposited a, a bit of the forefront when we looked at relationships, but we were never as picky about the type of deposits. Now we've really changed that focus in incorporating that into the, uh, the loan covenants that we have, requiring the full operating accounts, all of the things like that that really come back around. But when we talked about continuing to step up delivery on the Treasury side, I mean, it's real. I mean, we've continued to tweak till we get Treasury leadership the way we really want it, and we're there. Uh, we're, we're continuing to enhance our team, we're, and we're focused on education with our lenders and our, our staff better than we've ever been. So, I mean, it's, it's not a sprint. I mean, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a marathon and one that I think that we're, we're continuing to build it in the, right, in the right way, but that's the focus of our deposit initiative. I mean, we, it's all day long, every day looking at the value deposits, which ones are sticky, which ones that really do mean core to us, and which ones that will ultimately help us drive profitability in the relationships. Okay, that's, that's helpful. I appreciate that. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask about was the expenses going forward. Obviously, they've been managed well the past year, and maybe some of that's mortgage incentive compensation going down, which should probably revert some this year, which you, as you indicated. Aside from the mortgage piece, are there pressure points, inflationary or otherwise, that would drive expenses in 24 relative to 23? 
Uh, Brett, Steve, so one one other piece that uh, we didn't specifically talk about uh, earlier, but, but we, we, we did our previously uh, during the year, some of our uh, technology initiatives that, uh, that, that we've been working on uh, during 23, uh, in particular, some of our uh, transition to uh, to the cloud uh, is is some we'll we'll have some increased expenses. Some of that was uh, just being built out, and some some of it was infrastructure and different things that that we would start seeing some some more depreciation on uh, during during the current year. Um, I mean, there's there's always a little bit of inflationary pressures on on some of the other some of the other items. Um, I don't I don't think there's a I don't think we're looking to to to, to drastically increase uh, non-interest expense absent mortgage uh, just uh, changing a, a whole lot as far as uh, volume and, and, and production that uh, that would that would warrant that. Um, but outside of that, we again we should be we should be probably closer to the to the Q3 number. I think we were at about 31 and a half million versus 30.6 million. I don't think we'll be quite that high, but but. Uh, fourth quarter was definitely uh, down a little bit more than probably what we'll see uh, in on a go-forward basis. This is Corey, though. I think to, to go along with what Steve was saying, though, I do anticipate the mortgage side actually picking up from the, from the expense number in second half. I mean, we're, we're very much getting geared up for that because we've, you know, we were kind of proud of the fact of the way we managed mortgage through the last 18 months and I mean, we we basically managed to a net zero. That that's been our focus to make sure we could keep capabilities in place, but manage the uh, keep it nimble, like we've always said we would do. Now we feel like that it, that we'll be making sure that we've got the right productions in place to really take take advantage of the stuff in the second half of the year. Okay, Brett, this is there. Uh, yeah, one one more quick point. Uh, and again, this is just I'm, I'm giving you a reason, not an excuse. Uh, as we have grown our team and added real high-quality people to that, we're doing so in what, to me, is probably the, the toughest, hardest uh, market for banking talent that I remember in 50 years of doing this. Uh, and so to bring the people on that we were doing, which we know is the right thing to do, uh, the personnel cost is going to be what it is to get them and, and keep them. So there's just a, a little extra tightness right there that's uh, – uh, uh, over time, it's still going to generate a lot of good revenue for us, and we've got to have the right people to do it across all sectors, not just lenders. Uh, but it doesn't come cheap, and we, we're not going to lose sight of that. Okay, that's helpful. If I could sneak in one last one, um, you, mentioned, you guys mentioned M&A in, in the call, and it sounds like you're somewhat optimistic that you'll see some activity and, and maybe you guys will be able to do a deal that, you know, makes sense to add to the platform. Can you guys talk about from here, you know, some folks' strategies evolved. They're now looking to maybe buy more more rural franchises that are deposit-funded versus metro markets. Um, can you guys just talk about what your M&A strategy would be from here from a geography perspective and what you'd look for, you know, a community bank to bring to your platform? Well, I'll I'll stick with what I said. I think in the in the, the call, uh, the recorded part right there, that uh, we believe that we know what we're looking for, and that is, I got the script back in front of me, uh, 
a bank with the right culture, and that's that's number one, because we're not going to try to make a, a culture that doesn't look like us fit in. Uh, it, it's We've seen too many failures with that. Excess liquidity, a stable deposit base, and the valuation that makes sense. Well, you look at excess liquidity and stable deposit base, to me, you're almost by definition in Texas, you're looking at more rural markets. Uh, so I, I think you're... Uh, you're quite right, and that that's the way some other people are looking now too. For so long, they didn't, they weren't interested in banks out in smaller communities, and uh, now we've seen that pick up. So, uh, yeah, we we've had some phone calls. We've are going to have a few discussions. We're still not anywhere close to doing a deal, but uh, if the right one comes along, we and and right one also means the right size and all of that as well then uh, we believe we've got the capital and we've got the people and we believe we can, can make it work. But uh, after watching what we've seen right here in our Lubbock market and and the Permian as well, uh, in the past uh, couple of years, we don't want to go down the road of uh, having the kind of difficulties that we've seen from some other acquirers. I'll just leave it at that. Brett, this is Corey. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting, though, that you, know, you talk about the fact that people are starting to recognize the value of some of these rural deposits. We always have. That's the thing that, back even when we went public in 19, we had discussions around this. We have always seen the value of the rural deposits. And I think that probably puts us in a better position than a lot of the, the other ones that are just kind of changing their focus and looking at it. But I, I do think that we're very good at it, and we're very focused in being community-minded when we leave some of these, these rural markets. Now, if you're, if you're going to do well okay. in those smaller markets, you really have to understand that you have to be the hometown bank no matter where your headquarters are, and that's always been our our philosophy in all of our, our smaller markets. Okay, great. That's really helpful. Thanks for all the color. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Next, thank you. Next question is coming from Julian Trunis from Raymond James. Your line is now live. Joe, perhaps your phone is on mute. Joe from Raymond James, your line is now live. As a reminder, everyone, that's star one to be placed into question queue. Our next question is coming from Mark Shutley from KBW. Your line is now live. Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, I just, so on the, uh, the buyback, I know you guys continued that this quarter and sort of finished the current authorization. Um, do you still favor the buyback as sort of, you know, near the top of the list as far as priorities for 24, and do you expect a new authorization coming? Uh, it's going to be a decision by the board. Uh, I think clearly we were doing the right thing at the time in 23. Uh, we'll take a hard look at it. In fact, it will probably be discussed in our February board meeting, and uh, we'll decide uh, where we think we ought to be for the year. Uh, if as long as we have the capital levels that we do, if we collectively think we're trading at a level that uh, makes that a good investment for our shareholders' money, then yes, I think we'll reauthorize and have something out there. But uh, right now, today, I, I can't give you any real firm metrics on it, but it is going to be a topic of discussion for sure. Uh, if, you know, obviously, I guess in, in terms of, uh, of priorities on things. We're going to be sure we have plenty of capital for organic growth because we do think we'll get a chance to do some uh, during the year. And we're going to keep paying a steady dividend. And, you know, if a deal came along for M&A, we'd want to know we've got the dry powder to do that. 
but right in there at about that same tier is uh, buyback of our existing shares. And as long as we think it's a good value for the money, we're not going to be bashful about doing it. Great. That's helpful. Um, and maybe just one for Steve. Apologies if I missed this, but when you think about um, the NIM for 2024, um, what are the rate cut assumptions that you all are using when you think about those uh, margin projections? Thanks. Yeah, uh, so right now, and again, it's 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 a moving target. But as of as of right now, we've we've kind of just got two two rate cuts uh, baked in at this point. Uh, you know, let end of end of first quarter, early second quarter would be uh, kind of the first one, and then later, uh, I think end of end of third quarter, uh, first of the fourth quarter is when we've got the second one. Um, so again, that's. The viewpoint on that can shift day to day sometimes, but uh, you know, so I know some people have got more you know, up to maybe four four drops. But at this point, we're just kind of baking in two. Got it. Thanks. That's it for me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Next question is coming from Joey Anshunas from Raymond James. Your line is now live. Good morning. Uh, sorry about that. Are you able to hear me? Hi, Joe. Yeah, Joe, we can. Go ahead. Perfect. So just to kind of piggyback off that rate question, um, what's your model sensitivity to a 25 basis point rate cut? And as we think about that, what kind of deposit betas are you assuming on the way down? Uh, so I'll... I'll start here. I mean, uh, as far as as far as 25 basis point uh, decline, I, I don't I don't have the 25 here in front of me, but uh, we we definitely are liability liability sensitive. Um, but it, we we do uh, on the deposit side. We we've got about uh, we've got about 20. I'd say close to 20 percent of the deposit uh, book that. Is, that is tied to uh, to the short term rate uh, that that would probably that would uh, reprice down uh, most of that full 25 basis point uh, decline within 30 days or so. Uh, our uh, the majority of our public fund uh, book and our uh, uh, broker de- uh, broker deposits uh, and then some some of the other indexed accounts that that, that we've got. Um, at a at a for for the full one for a full one percent drop, I think we're we're at a, uh, we're about a three around a three percent uh, increase to net interest income. Um, again, sorry, I don't have the I don't have a down to the twenty five basis point level. I want uh, this, Curtis Joe. One of the things that. Uh, will be helpful for us on this is we have continued to be very reluctant on increasing our, uh, our CD balances out there. We haven't been running any specials or any of that. So uh, the bulk of our deposits are in transaction accounts, and we will be able to adjust those rates fairly quickly. And there, uh, another factor, we've talked, touched on treasury management, uh, one that we can and will certainly move, uh, uh, because you can move it in very small increments is our earnings credit rate. Uh, to the extent that we're using that to the Treasury uh, management side, uh, we'll certainly be aggressive in, in trying to adjust those as rates, in fact, do decline. 
Perfect. I appreciate that. And last one for me here. As asset qualities, you know, it's remained pretty strong throughout the December quarter. So as we think about this next year, is there a potential if we move through the year and we hit this soft landing that we could start to see some reserve relief for you, which would, you know, be somewhat of a tailwind? Just kind of curious your thoughts of kind of provisioning year over year in the credit outlook. Hey, Joe, this is Brent. Um, you know, we're still seeing, I mean, you know, past is normalizing uh, and and a, occasional uh, credits that have deteriorated. We're just working hard. I mean, it's where we're where we wound up at the end of, uh, of the quarter was uh, was because of the work work we accomplished during the quarter of uh, exiting some, repairing some, downgrading a few. So we're still seeing some activity coming in and out of there. Um, and, and I think it kind of really all depends on the, the, the long-term effect of, of the rate rise and, and, and how, the, how that um, moves through the economy. And we still are modeling in our model having some more stress than we have today in the overall economy. If we don't see that at some point in time, of course we got to reassess it. But um, right now we're still kind of thinking there's still a chance of a little bit of volatility in the overall economy. So uh, you know when when we I guess move away from that thinking process, yeah, there's a potential we we would see some reversal out of there. Yeah, but I think if you start seeing from our standpoint, we see enough rate relief, our volume is going to pick up enough that we're probably going to offset that. Pretty quickly from a growth standpoint. So, well, we I would say this. While we would like to see relief in that, we are not we are not dependent upon that for the where we're trying to to uh, drive earnings. I think you could count on us always leaning on the conservative side about what's in that reserve. Uh, it just uh, lets everybody sleep a little better at night. And you know there are metrics that do justify it. Uh, we're just we're not seeing huge difficulties in our portfolio, but as Brent said, when we spot something, we start working it right then. We don't let problems fester because uh, that that usually doesn't end well. Uh, so we will uh, stay uh, as conservative as reasonably possible, I'll say, in keeping the reserve in there. If the uh, the mathematics really do indicate we need to pull some out, we will. But uh, as Corey said, the hope is that we get enough additional organic growth. Uh, moving into 24, that uh, it'll it'll use up any adjustments that would be related to uh, uh, the overall uh, improvement in the economy. And uh, then, purely speaking for myself, there's still a lot of unknowns out there, and one of them is we got an election coming this November, and I don't know what the world's going to look like after that. So we're going to just err on the cautious side. Joe, you know we're conservative, and we we're always going to underpromise and overdeliver whenever we can. Got it. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking my questions. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. We reached end of our question and answer session. I'd like to turn the floor back over to Curtis for any further closing comments. Thanks, operator. Uh, thank all of you for joining our call this morning. You've heard us discuss we are entering 24 in a real solid position. We think we have some good opportunities for growth in the bank and to highlight just a few of those one more time, we do have an improved treasury management team. We think that's going to drive both fee income and core deposit growth during the year. We are getting a gradual remixing of loan and securities portfolios into higher yielding uh, loans. 
And coupled with what we expect is low single-digit loan growth, that the Texas economy, if it remains healthy, will drive our net interest income growth. And as we've touched on multiple times, mortgage has certainly been challenging over the last several months, but we remain positioned to handle some improving volumes. And I think we're getting a, uh, a buildup out there of, uh, of needs for some uh, financing that is going to start breaking loose as rates begin to come down. We're going to be well positioned for that. And most importantly, the credit quality of our loan portfolio does remain solid. So I'm excited for the year ahead. We thank you all for your time today, and uh, we hope to see you again soon. Thanks. Thank you. That does conclude today's teleconference. We disconnect your line at this time, and have a wonderful day. We thank you for your participation today.